My message this morning is on building resilience, a topic that, heck, everywhere you go at the moment, it's a popular topic. But I want to take it from God's perspective, and I want to share some of the journey that I've been on in the recent months on the subject of building resilience. Trevor, if I can spot you in the crowd, I want to thank you for your message that you gave most recently, the one where you mentioned and we talked about Genesis being revisited and that marvellous time when God is going to bring heaven to earth permanently. And I just, and he had a fancy word, a Greek word, I've even tried to remember it, it's palingenesia. Genesis revisited, I thought that was a marvellous term, and, and Trevor unpacked what that could look like for us when Jesus comes from heaven to permanently invade every part of the world we live in. All that we've been designed to be, including a COVID-free world, his humanity will find its true and authentic expression. I will and you will. That theology of heaven coming to earth has shaped us as a church. If you've been around a while, you will know that we have built that into us, that we're not waiting for a moment when Jesus comes and we escape and go upwards. I know that theology has been around for a long time in other circles, but not in this church. We believe that God is going to bring his presence to the earth, and he is constantly bringing moments of breakthrough where heaven enters our world and we celebrate that what we prayed for, what we believed for, God has brought into our lives. This little prop here is a memory for our family. Generation upon generation will hear the story that this is a moment in time in our family where heaven entered our circumstances. This should have been Peter's ashes, but this is not the ashes of my husband. This is, in fact, inscrolled on a verse that God gave him on his deathbed before he would have passed away that said, I'm not going to take you, you're going to live. And then a brave woman of God who is not amongst us today, presumably because she's unwell, while the rest of all of the world it felt like prayed for God to live, went into the hospital bed, into the room where she could feel death in front of her, and she broke through in prayer, and Peter made a miraculous recovery. Within 30 minutes of being on his deathbed, he was asking for a milkshake from McDonald's. That concept of heaven coming to earth, now I'm a little bit challenged, I've got a bit of Irish history and sometimes I've got to remember what is horizontal and vertical. Uh, vertical's this way, eh? Yeah, okay. Um, we have the concept of heaven coming to earth, but you know there's quite a bit of debate in theological circles, I gather, that maybe it's sideways, the other one, horizontal, yes. And that maybe there's a veil, but it's not really that thick. It's not like a brick wall. And at moments, we get little glimpses, and we see what's there. And there's moments when it comes over to our side, and we're delighted with what God is doing. So our story of heaven coming to earth is in this box. And Matt over there has engraved it many years ago. You can have a look on it. And the accident that nearly took his life was from a ladder. And that's why the ladder is there. I haven't opened that for ages. It really sits in my cabinet of curiosities in our house, where our grandchildren can come and ask questions about various bits and pieces. But do you know my experience? 
probably like yours, if you're truly honest, is that most of our lives are lived not in this space, which is the rare and exceptional and treasured moments, but in the reality that we've got things that we're waiting for, we're hoping for, we're believing for, and it's not yet in our hands. Sadly, it's at the interface of this very uh, common experience in our lives that many people lose their faith. They look at what they thought God could do. He was so powerful. He declares and things just happen. And I've got the circumstance right in front of me. And guess what? He didn't answer. He didn't do what I wanted him to do. And the landscape spiritually is scattered with people, casualties who have lost their faith in the middle of suffering. Either a sudden loss that's come their way, or suddenly their lives turned upside down by circumstances they would never have expected they would be in. Now, I was reading a magazine, actually. It wasn't the scriptures this day. It was a mind food magazine for women. And it told a story of a woman who was going to a counsellor in a difficult period of her life. The counsellor wasn't even a Christian. But after hearing of the woman's suffering and pain and um, through significant loss in her life and also being thrown into some unexpected circumstances, she says there was a profound light bulb moment where life went into the darkest corners of my experience and my emotions. It's exactly what I needed to hear. And it was a turning point in the way I worked my way forward. And the counselor turned to her and said, didn't you know that life has suffering? Didn't you know that life has suffering? Now this is a great story passed down to generations in the Muller family, but you know, for those of you who know us closely, We're currently in the middle of the opposite, where heaven is being called upon daily to intervene and meet a need that we know needs to be met. That a lot of people are praying and praying, but in the meantime, as a family, we've got an up-close and personal observation of suffering right on our doorsteps. It breaks our heart. It continues to stretch us in ways we've never been extended before. But I want to say, God is still in the details. God is still at work. We haven't seen what we're hoping for, but isn't it just miraculous that when we're in the middle of suffering that we can take another day of it? Without fainting, without going into a dark hole that we can't get ourselves out of? Now, in the times that I'm experiencing, and I don't believe the Muller family are any different to any other family that is represented here today. Every single family will relate to those experiences of the miraculous of heaven coming to earth and the times when we call down all of heaven and we don't get seemingly what we're asking for. Now, in these moments, I turn to Scripture. I have to turn to Scripture. There is nowhere else that I can turn. Now, my topic today is building resilience, but I have to do a disclaimer before I move on in my message today because my family are present. I cannot tell you that I have learnt all that I'm speaking about today. I'm on a journey too. I'm definitely on a journey. 
I have been brought to a new place and encouragement by reading the story of Esther again in the Bible. It's been a breath of fresh air, and before you men switch off and think woman preachers, preaching about a woman, Esther, da-da-da, I'll zone out. I want to tell you that in the story of Esther, men play a major, major part in the life of this woman's story. And we always love to race to the end. And if I asked you, what did you know? What do you remember of Esther? Well, what do you remember? For such a time as this, she saved a nation. And that's fine, and she did. But what happened at the beginning, and what was the journey before she got there? And did she know that that's where she'd end up? No, she didn't, like you and I. She had to have faith. I have been unpacking the story a little bit more, and her life, Esther's life, was actually defined by three events. If you read it carefully, Esther suffered loss and grief and trauma at a young age. She became an orphan. Now, if you read that lightly, that's fine. But really, if you go into the details a little bit more, you'll find out. I'll go there in a second. The second thing that defined her life was that she was thrown into circumstances way beyond what she expected, way beyond that which was her own making, far from what she expected, with potential to disorientate her and destroy all hope that she would have in the living God for her future. And then, of course, the other event that defined her life, which we all remember, is that she was a history maker, and her actions saved a whole nation. If you dig a little bit deeper about the loss and the grief and being orphaned, I would like to throw out to you today that it's possible it's more comparable she didn't just wake up and find her parents dead. It's quite possible compared to what the terrible atrocities that are happening in the world in the Middle East and places like that, where this ethnic cleansing. She was a Jew. It's possible that she was in the middle of a dark night as a seven-year-old where her house was invaded and, and slaughtered in front of her, possibly. Could have been her parents. We sanitize these stories and we don't put them into their context. It's quite possible that that could have happened. She may have witnessed the violent death of her parents. We don't know. Now, the circumstances that she was thrown into against her will and with no intention, um, she probably wasn't much older than 14, 16, maybe 18 at the most. When after the king had um, got particularly angry with Queen Vasti because she wouldn't dance in front of a drunken crowd naked, suddenly his aides came up with a wonderful idea that would bring cheer to his, to his heart, which was to search the whole country of Persia, and a map should be going up there at the moment. It was a vast empire. And the king said, go out there and spot the most beautiful woman in the whole of my empire and bring them into the courts. Most likely, she was spotted, if it had been modern day, in a mall. Not in, but she was not invited. This is the context of her story. She was not invited to go into the king's courts for a year to prepare for one night with the king. She wasn't invited, she was taken. She was taken. She was forcibly detained, wretched from her home and taken against her will at the edict of the king. 
It's possible she merely had a number rather than a name, and even her ethnicity herself itself was not known. These circumstances came in her life way beyond her control, way beyond what she'd anticipated. And for a moment, on the lighter side, I'm not into reality TV, I can't stand it, but if you consider for a moment what she entered into for that year, now, we haven't got that many children here today, have we? But I won't go into the details of it. But if all those young women were all brought to prepare for one night with the king, imagine, like The Bachelor, the competition for his attention. Imagine all the stuff that went behind the scenes and all the jealousy and the mayhem as, as everybody prepared to be chosen, possibly, for this one role to be the king, for the king to invite her to be the queen. But imagine a young Jewish woman who'd been brought up in the Jewish faith having to wrestle with what the implications of that whole experience would mean. I would imagine that her faith had been deeply shaped up until that stage by her Jewish community of faith. And she would have dreamed maybe of the moment, just like all her generation before, before of saving herself for the moment for her husband and going on to have a family. And all of that in one moment was wiped away from her life. Sudden, unexpected circumstances that came to threaten the very existence of what she would have thought was her destiny and destroy all that she was going to be in her future. Or would it? Or would it? How did this young Jewish woman build such resilience to go on to adapt to these new circumstances, unwelcomed reality of her life, to remain poised and positioned to have that moment for such a time as this? I want to suggest to you that God was there. God was there in the circumstances of her life when she witnessed such loss and tragedy as a young girl. God was right in the middle of those circumstances. And the community of faith that had been around her continued. And praise God for Mordecai's, for Uncle Mordecai. Uncle Mordecai, after those circumstances, took her into her home, his home and raised him as his very daughter. In those circumstances in her early life, and many of you may have suffered trauma, tragedy or loss in the early part of your life. And I want to say that God is in the middle. He is always there with you and he provides a community of faith around us and in particular, the tangible presence of Uncle Mordecai's in our lives so that we can grow and be healed and go on to explore the rest of our lives. Maybe Esther, just like us, had to learn to trust in the sovereignty of God, and she saw it retrospectively, possibly more than when she was in the middle of it. But God was bang in the middle of it all the way through, even in the circumstances that took her out of her community and placed her in something foreign and unexpected. God was still there. And as I thought about it, this uncle Mordecai, who brought her into his home and raised her as his daughter, 
and then had to see her wrenched from his presence to go into that harem and prepare for this one night with the king. God still had ways that they could communicate, and Mordecai, all the way through her life, was there as a tangible presence of God and his love. God is never absent from our pain. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. I believe just like Esther, she would have had to hang on to this, and I have to hang on to this, Do you know, we look at the last part of of Proverbs 5, verse 6. I will read it to you. Lean on, trust, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind. Then there's a warning. Do not rely on your own insight and understanding. And then there's an encouragement. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And then I will direct and make plain and straight your paths. Looking at that again, the three things that we need to do in order to know that constant work of God in our lives to make straight and plain our paths, we have to lean on him and trust him with all our heart and circumstances that go against the grain. We have to rely on him without our own, don't rely on our own insight and understanding. And we need to acknowledge him in our circumstances in which we live today. God, you are at work. Whether it's in the stupendous, miraculous events of life, or whether it's when I'm handling things that I have yet to see, the fulfillment of, I still trust you. You are still there. And I want to encourage you that the community of faith needs to be active in your life. You need to come week by week because that is part of the healing process for us. And that is part of the rubbing shoulders and saying, I'm with you. I know it's tough, but I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I want to move just very briefly to another part of scripture that's been encouraging me lately, and that's the Psalms. And Psalms itself is just such an amazing part of the Bible. There is, I was going to ask the question, but it's pretty obvious what the answer is. But do you know that David is the most studied person in all of scripture? There is no other person's life that we know almost every detail of his youth, of his teenage years, of his growing up years, of his mistakes, of his amazing ways that he conquered things, of everything, every detail is made about um, his life. And it's there so that we can read it. In the moments when we're discouraged, I challenge you that no matter where you are today, that in the Psalms you will find something that will speak to you, direct you, encourage you, or comfort you. Apparently, language comes in three different types or forms. It can be something that's informative, it gives us facts and figures, and it sort of shapes our world, and we probably in the world we live in today, that actually is most of the information or language is in information delivery. Also, there's another form of language, apparently, for those who are experts, and I'm not, and that is one of motivation. So when you're getting motivated and encouraged and whatever, that's a language of its own. Do you know what the language of the Psalms is? It best described, I read, it's the language of communication of a child with its mother. 
as it first learns to trust and then grunt instead of say a word, but the mother knows exactly what that means. You know exactly when that child, that two-year-old says something, but it's a language of intimacy and relationship. And that's what Psalms has been written in. It's pretty gutsy language at times, but, but David would go to God and pour out his heart and even be so raw with his emotions. He would do things like say, God, so where are you? You told me you'd intervene. You're so powerful. God, where are you? Are you deaf? Are you blind? Do you not see my circumstances? I love Psalms because that always comes first and then there's a pause. And David was wise enough, wise enough, hopefully like the rest of us. I'm a journaler. I will never let you read my journal because the first part is all that sort of stuff. I dump it on God. I let God know my frustrations. I say things that you would be surprised I say to God. But God is big enough to hear that because God and I have got this thing going where I say, and then I'll listen. What have you got to say? And most often my part is this one and God's is this long. But I want to say that sometimes... It's really hard. It's not as easy as it seems. Sometimes God is silent and I do not hear anything. I want to say that in building a theology of life, and behind me should come a slide, in building a theology of life, it must include a theology of suffering, of living not only with hearing God's voice, but learning to live with his silence, which is a much harder task. And another quote, until we are face to face with the deepest, darkest facts of life without damaging the view of God's character, I would suggest that we do not yet know him. We are on a journey. What are you faced with today that in, in the light of things would look like God was not there and he wasn't present? Or that God has gone on another duty and forgotten mine. He's too busy looking after everybody else. And my circumstances are unexpected. I didn't expect that diagnosis. I didn't expect this suffering. I didn't expect these circumstances. And I have to live with them right now. How on earth am I going to do that? We can only do that by acknowledging that God is with us. Whether he chooses to speak directly into that circumstances and give us the rationale, or whether he chooses to be silent. We're all on a journey to know God, and that's one of the toughest of the tests. I want to finish on a story from Mark 6 verse 45. It's a verse in Mark 6 verse 45. Sometimes we feel like this. And he insisted that the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida. And then he left and went off into the hills. This is Jesus. This is the verse where Jesus is launching the disciples in their boat, telling them to get on their way and go into the, what seemed to be calm waters. And I want to suggest that that's like our life like Jesus launching our life. And Jesus is there, right present with them, didn't even get in the boat, and he just launches the boat out there, and he heads for the hills. 
and he heads for the hills. God knows that in this life we will face many storms. He knew that that storm was going to come when he put those disciples on that boat. We were going to be faced with challenges and heartbreaks, times when heaven does it tight. There's going to be moments in time when heaven does break through and stupendously prevent or calm the waters so there's no storm. But sometimes, and for a lot of our lives, it's living in the middle of a storm. And the second part of that verse, he didn't stay in the hills. Where did Jesus go? He came walking on the waters towards them. And in that boat, in the middle of the most stupendous and, and overwhelming storm, Jesus walked towards them. We learn, must learn to see Jesus walking on the water towards us in our life. We, must have to, we need to trust. We need to raise our head at times from our circumstances and look for him because he is there. We have to acknowledge that he's not in the hills. He is actually on the waters in the middle of the storm and walking towards us, even if his face is hidden behind the wave in front of us right at this very moment. We have to hold on and know that we are not promised immunity from difficulties in this life, but God has promised to be with us. Psalm 91 verse 15. We're not promised our life will be without storms, but we are promised that God will always be with us. And we are told in Romans 8 verse 37 that nothing, absolutely nothing, no trial, no storm, no new diagnosis, no terribly difficult life that you have to walk through at this moment, absolutely nothing will separate us from the love of God. I want to finish on a quote after I've had a drink of water. Either Jesus is a deceiver who stunningly managed to deceive even the Apostle Paul or else some extraordinary thing happens to someone who holds on to the love of God when the odds are totally against him. Either Jesus was a deceiver, managed to con even the great heroes of the faith or else something extraordinary happens in our lives when we hold on to the love of God when the odds are totally against us. I wanted to pray a blessing over you today, over your life, over whatever your circumstances are today. Whether you're in the middle of celebration or whether you're in the middle of pain, whether you've experienced loss and you're grieving, whether or not there's unexpected circumstances that have been thrown at you that you never expected. I wanted to pray a blessing over you. But Neerily helped me find out that just this week there has been the most stunning video um, called The Blessing that's gone all viral around the, country, around the world and everybody's been doing their version. This is the New Zealand version 
of the blessing. I want you to listen and soak up. I know it'll be interesting to see all the people and where they're from, and that's great. I know that you'll enjoy that part, but I also want you to listen to the words. And my heart is that a blessing will fall upon each one of us, and we will find the love of God in the circumstances of our lives right now. He honore, he gloria, he hallelujah ki te atua. He maumaromo, he atapai, he manaki ki rumi ita matua te whetua. He hakaalo pai, he hakaalo mui, he hakaalo roa ki ngā tamatakato. Nō leira ki a tau, ki a tātou katoa. Te atapai o tō tātou ariki o iukalaiti. Me te aroha o te atua, me te whipinga tahitanga ki te wairua tapu. Ake, 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 ake. Should we just all stand together? That's been a powerful declaration over us this morning, hasn't it? Hasn't that been a real, just a real sense? When I heard that song for the first time this morning, I just had tears in my eyes as I just realised what God has done, what God has done, and how he's brought us together and how he's knitted us into his family, how he's made us part of uh, his purposes and plans. And you may be thinking today that, well, God really doesn't have much of a plan for my life, but I hope you have heard in the testimony of the message and in the, and in the powerful declaration that God is with us, that he's with you, that his presence is upon you, not so you may have a happy, joyful, clappy life, but you may experience what it means to live for something that's greater than yourself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? We want to live for something that's greater than ourselves. I tell you, living for myself is boring. It's got nothing in it. But living for Jesus is the most exciting adventure that any one of us can have. So on the note of that declaration, shall we just pray and close this meeting? And then we've got cafe and we've got everything else we want to do today. So Father, we want to bless you. We want to thank you. Say amen if you agree with me. If you don't, then just keep quiet. But (laughs) Father, we want to thank you for what you've poured into our lives afresh today. We want to thank you that your presence is alive and well in us. We want to thank you, Father, that you have uh, embedded your presence upon us so that we're in us, Lord, so that we can be a declaration to this world what it means to live for something that's greater than ourselves. Father, we thank you. We've been reminded again today that you are with us, that your hand is upon us, that your blessing is before us, and that whatever we're walking through today, we can trust you, knowing that your promise is good and steadfast and strong. And we just declare our love for you again today, and we declare, Lord, your faithfulness over us this week as we go into our workplaces, into our schools, or into our homes, or into whatever part of life, season of life we're in. We thank you, Father, that you're in the midst of that, in Jesus' most precious and most glorious name. We declare that today. Amen. Amen. Have a good day. Have a good time in the Lord. See you next week. God bless you.